The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the fourth chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. When evening had come, Jesus said to the disciples, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the, asleep on the cushion, and they woke him up and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? The Gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. This gospel story from Mark should be the token passage for our declining Christian church, here in Europe, but in other places of the world as well. But it's not the case for all where the Christian church is, all regions, all places. For some places in the world, the church is growing. But despite that, there is a great fear around Christendom about the future of the church, and it overwhelms us to think about the potential death of the church, whatever that means, it's something that's creeping in the minds of its members. Maybe you've heard me say this before, but this isn't the first time in history when the Christian church has declined. There are other reasons. Granted, those reasons were from catastrophes like disease, the Black Plague, and inhumane wartime actions, just war in itself, but certainly wars that involved genocide that led to a struggling church. But to be fair and accurate to today, the only place Christianity is declining is in the U.S., the country that I come from, and in most European nations. It's not quite a worldwide epidemic, unlike COVID-19. In fact, Christianity is growing and has shifted dramatically to the global south, whereas centuries ago, the growth was in the global north. A century ago, 80% of Christians lived in Europe and North America. Today, it is below 40%. Here's some more interesting information from an article a few years ago in the Washington Post. In 1980, more Christians were found in the Global South than in the North for the first time in 1,000 years. Today, the Christian community in Latin America and Africa alone account for 1 billion people. And over the past 100 years, Christians grew from less than 10% of Africa's population to nearly 500 million today. 
One out of four Christians in the world presently live in Africa. And the Pew Research Center estimates that it will grow to 40% by the year 2030. And Asia is also experiencing growth as Christianity's center has not moved only to the south, but to the east as well. In the last century, Christianity has grown at twice the rate of the population on the continent of Asia. Asia's Christian population of 350 million is projected to grow to 460 million by 2025. And the religious wild card, if we use that metaphor, is China. Even today, demographers estimate that Christian believers are found worshiping in China on any given Sunday, more in China than in the United States. Future trends, while difficult to predict, because of how much it's below their religious radar, are dramatically driving the world's religious nuns down. People have faith in this world. Despite this accurate picture we have from this article of Christianity in the world today, there is a lot that is frightening about the context of organized Christianity in Europe and America today. It's as if a storm has come to swirl around the continent of Europe and made it difficult for the once mighty ship that was the Christian church to stay afloat. Instead, it has been transformed from a mighty ship into a vulnerable little dinghy of a vessel that doesn't have good odds of staying afloat in the storm. There are many fingers that we could point to the cause of the storm, but what's more important is how we are responding to the storm. Are we responding with fear or with faith? Because it seems the disciples, they responded to their literal storm with fear. But should we blame them? I mean, it's easy for us to see what the message that Jesus was trying to, to teach them from the comfort of a sanctuary where there isn't a storm going on around us. And Mark's gospel to this point hasn't given much attention to the disciples until this point. And these lake-crossing scenes are a chance for the disciples to reveal what they've learned, what they've understood from listening to Jesus preach. And they often get grief from their lack of composure in this passage, as if they are overreacting to the storm. But it's important for us to remember that these were folks who made their living and their, on their ability to fish, on their ability to know the weather, to understand what was going on and how well they might do if a storm came about. We should trust their judgment that this was no common storm. They think they're going to die. Because probably they would have if Jesus hadn't intervened and calmed the storm. And really, Jesus doesn't calm the storm as much as he overpowers it. He rebukes the violent wind and demands a still silence, recalling when he did the same in the first chapter of Mark with the unclean spirits. But the disciples' fault comes in their assumption that they know the ending, that they know how things will turn out, that they assume this will all end in their death. But Jesus changes the ending they assumed would come. This is everything that Jesus was about in his ministry here on earth 
surprise endings, doing what everyone least expected. Repeatedly, Jesus engineers powerful ways of bringing about endings people were not expecting. I guess as the king of kings, you are a plot twist king as well. You've likely heard me talk about Jesus and God's kingdom in this way before as counter to the culture in every way. And the greatest countercultural act we can glean from this tumultuous story at sea is from the sea itself. Because the sea, like many stories of lore, it is a very liminal place. It's a site of transition, moving from one place to another, but it, it is done so at great risk. It is a place of great risk. But God still shows up there. This sea in the story is the Sea of Galilee, and it was both kinds of places. A place of transit. Geographically, it separated peoples of one shore from another. Sociopolitically, it provided sustenance to Galileans and generated resources for the Roman Empire. It was a boundary, a border between peoples. Some of the time, it viewed as, a separate, as, as what separated the holy from what was defiled. And it could also keep outsiders away. Case in point, our gospel story. The sea was doing its part to prevent their crossing. And Jesus, by overpowering the store, either declares that these separations don't work, or they do work, and he intends to tear them down. In liminal places where there are borders, Jesus conducts ministry. He opens minds to new possibilities and sets people free to enter into the wholeness and oneness that is our created world. Every part of that created world, every color, every nation, every orientation, everyone. Around the world, people have been celebrating Pride Month, where our LGBTQI plus sisters and brothers are celebrating how God made them and living in hope for a time when they can live among us without boundaries or storms that are trying to tear them down. Because love is love. And as you heard me tell our children today, God is love. Jesus taught us that. Being a father has affirmed that for me more than I've ever known before. The love that I receive from God through Jesus has taught me that God does not equal all of these things that are listed above. God simply equals love. Not just love that is caring for one another, but a love that is caring for the other. It is a love that welcomes, that cares for, that loves the other for being other. Without border without boundary. I think Paul knew that love was the fulfillment of the law because of Jesus. And we know that Jesus doesn't stand for boundaries like this and will overpower them. Paul's reading to the message today affirms that 
in a broad sort of way. And so thanks be to God for Jesus' ability to overpower the just plain wrong things about this world and those who try to lift them up. Thanks be to God for showing us the faith of Jesus to act in surprising ways in which the world never expected. Thanks be to God for a faith that is greater than the fear that also tries to guide us. Guide us always, O Lord, to trust our faith over our fear. Amen.